This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. If I were to ask you, what's the longest night you can remember experiencing? What, what would you say? I think back to some of the long nights that I've had. It's hard for me to, to, to nail down just one longest night. I remember when my, my boys were, were newborns and, and the, the sleepless, the, the, the night after night after night of being awake and, and caring for them and being, being awakened suddenly to things that need to be taken care of. I remember the nights as they were, were toddlers and you know, they would wake up in the middle of the night sick. And you know, Not only are you being awaken suddenly but there's a mess to to take care of we we got a a puppy a few months ago and i was reminded of what that's like to wake up in the middle of the night to take the dog in and out in and out in and out he's just a little guy needed needed that care and attention and the the sleeplessness that goes with that have you ever thought about how how strange those moments are in the middle of the night how when you finally sit down and get a moment of rest, those moments go by so fast. You, the hours disappear. But when, when you're waiting, when, when you're caring, when, when you're engaged, those seconds stretch out and feel like an eternity. You look at the clock and think, it's only been three minutes. How in the world is that all the time that's gone by? Have you had those, those nights lying awake, wrestling with a big decision, letting your mind turn, having trouble shutting it off so that you can just get rest? Have you had a night like that where you were struggling with the stress of a situation, feeling the weight, wrestling with God over what needs to be done and how you're going to be able to stand and and do what you feel like he's calling you to do? Have Have you had those nights? Our message today is all about one of those nights for Jesus and the disciples, one of those long, sleepless nights, struggling with the, the, the situation at hand. The passage today comes from Matthew chapter 26, Jesus in Gethsemane with the disciples. If you have a Bible and you want to turn with me, please do so. The words will be on the screen. If you want to use a phone or tablet to use the YouVersion app, you can open up the app, search under events for Parkview Finley, and find scripture and sermon notes there in the YouVersion app as well. Let's begin reading in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. 
Now, this is a part of a long night, part of a series of events. We remember earlier that night, we talked in our message two weeks ago, Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples in the upper room. And during that meal, reclining around the table, several things happened. Jesus identified Judas as his betrayer. Jesus invited his disciples to participate in the first Lord's Supper, sharing and communion with them, demonstrating them what they would do from that point on to remember his death and resurrection. As they left that place, he told the disciples they would all fall away, they would be scattered, the shepherd would be struck down, the sheep would be scattered. He told Peter very specifically, before the rooster crows the third time this morning, you will have denied knowing me three times. And Jesus and his disciples went out from that place, heading back to the small town of Bethany. And they stopped in Gethsemane to rest. Luke's account, he says that the disciples and Jesus went to the garden as usual. This was their pattern, that on the way to spend the night in Bethany, they would stop at this place and rest, this, this garden that we've always called it. But more realistically, if we're going to mentally uh, imagine the place where Jesus and his disciples were, would have been a, a grove of olive trees. It's called a garden. And the name Gethsemane means oil press. Uh, the olive oil that they would have produced in this region comes from uh, clumps of olive trees that are cared for and tended in this place of Gethsemane, a place where Jesus and his disciples would regularly go. Notice, as a part of this series of events, that, that Jesus was willing to go where he usually went, to follow his normal routine that they had been practicing for at least this week since they arrived in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, going back and forth from Bethany to Jerusalem, Jerusalem during the day and Bethany at night. Uh, this was a, a, a stop for them. But the significance of Jesus going as usual to the garden reminds us of his purpose. Now, if you'll, you'll remember, in the upper room, once Jesus identified Judas as, as his betrayer, Judas left the upper room, fled from that scene. And we know, and we'll talk more about this next week when we talk about that betrayal, he went to find the chief priests. He went to bring men to arrest Jesus. And, and Jesus could have hidden from that, that group of men coming to find him. He could have altered his routine to, to stay away from Judas, but he didn't. He chose to willingly go where Judas could find him, to go to the same place, the same process that he would follow every night. When Judas found those men, he would go and look for Christ. If he's not in the upper room, that means he's on his way to Bethany. If he's not already in Bethany, they would have stopped at the Garden of Gethsemane, and they would have been able to find Jesus there. He willingly went where he knew Judas would be able to find him so that the will of God could unfold through the events that would transpire, as he said they would. Now notice as Jesus was coming closer to the cross, he took time to pray. As he was headed toward this significant event in his life, he stopped with his disciples and, and chose very specifically to spend time in prayer. We have uh, in, in Matthew and Mark's account, very similar, three distinct times of prayer. And, and through, through this, this time, Jesus provides to us an incredible example of, of prayer, an example that, that teaches us about what our prayers should be like, about what we can gain, how we can grow, what God does in us as we surrender to him in prayer. Once all the disciples had, had come into the, to Gethsemane, Jesus invited them to sit. 
And it says he withdrew from them to spend time in prayer, but he invited Peter, James, and John to come with him a little bit away from the rest of the disciples. And he had them stop and said, now watch, stay up and watch with me while I pray. He let them know that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow. To the point of death, his soul was overwhelmed in sorrow. And we read uh, for our communion passage from the book of Luke, that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he went back to his disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted with sorrow. Now, there's a common, common word that we see here, sorrow. Matthew tells us of the, the emotion that Jesus felt leading up to the, to the cross, this, this sorrow, overwhelming sorrow to the point of death. And then he went back and found the disciples asleep, exhausted from sorrow. That not only was this emotional, it was, it was a physical drain on them as well, that they were all aware of the fact that Jesus was coming close to the day of his death. In the previous conversations leading up to this time, Jesus had been very clear with his disciples that he was headed toward the cross. He had explained to them not only that he was going to die, that he was going to lay down his life for the forgiveness of sins, but also that he was going to be raised from the grave three days later. And, and even though they, they knew the facts, even though Jesus had been very plain explaining to them the process of what was going to happen, the idea of coming to th this moment of death, brought about sorrow for each of them as they waited for this moment to come. And it was exhausting. I've shared this experience with my family, knowing that a loved one's going to die, waiting for that day to come. A few years ago, my aunt passed away from pancreatic cancer. I went down to Cincinnati to a hospice care facility and waited with my family, knowing her diagnosis, knowing the, the length of time that the doctor said she had left, we, we sat and waited. And we talked together, and there was a lot of prayer, and there was a lot of, of time just, just waiting. And those, those moments are, are difficult. Waiting, knowing that death is not far off. It, it is exhausting. It has a physical toll. It has a mental toll, a, an emotional toll, a spiritual toll that, that we feel draining us. I've had an opportunity to sit with some of the families here at Parkview in waiting rooms at a hospital and hospice, praying with you as we're waiting for those last days. It, it's always a difficult process. This is where Jesus and his disciples were, a difficult place, knowing that the cross was necessary, knowing that it was coming, and yet, not wanting their time together to come to an end. Knowing that Jesus had committed himself to the will of God. And yet he, he didn't want to be parted from the disciples. He knew what death would mean. And he felt that sorrow. If you recall from the story of Jesus with, with Mary and Martha when Lazarus died, he understands what it is to feel the emotion of death. And he wept at the loss of Lazarus. He wept with the people surrounding the family and he brought Lazarus back to life. And even though that death wasn't final, Jesus still felt the emotion of that death. He knew what it was to experience everything that goes with that. The disciples, not yet ready to say goodbye to their master, not wanting those days to come to an end, were, 
overwhelmed with sorrow, exhausted by that process. Death brings us to a unique place where we wrestle with God in a way that we don't do in any other circumstance. It's such a painful and difficult experience that we find ourselves confronting God with questions. Why that? Help me understand why. Why now? Timing is a, is a big question that we have when we experience death. Why now? Why, why right now? Is this, is this the right time? It doesn't look like it from my perspective. Help me understand why now. We want to trust that, that God has things under control, that he is sovereign, that there's a plan, and yet we can't quite always understand God's time and God's process as we grieve. So death brings us to a place where we have a lot of questions. Sometimes we're afraid to ask those questions of God. Sometimes we're afraid to, to voice them out loud, to, to let God know that we have doubts, to let not God know that we have questions and fears about, about what this process will look like. And yet that's the, the very best place that we can voice those fears, voice those concerns, voice those doubts, is taking them to the Lord. Death brings up an entirely different set of questions when we're faced with our own mortality. When, when we hear a diagnosis from a doctor, when we, when we hear about the frailty of our own body, that there are things that we need to do to change or else we're going to come to an end sooner than we plan. And maybe you've had an experience with a doctor where you've received some very difficult news and you've been confronted with that idea of, of your own weakness, of your own frailty, of the, the, the limited nature of our lives here on earth. And it brings up questions that we have forgotten. Questions about not only why things are happening right now, but also what about the meaning of, of life, about the value of the, the, the limited number of days and hours that we have and how we can use them for good, use them in the best way possible. There's so many questions wrapped up in this idea of death. It brings about so much turmoil in us as we, as we struggle with God and wrestle with Him. It brings about so much sorrow as we think about what it is to, to let go and say goodbye. Jesus, in Gethsemane, was overwhelmed with sorrow. What did he do with that? He turned to God in prayer. He prayed in response to his sorrow and provides for us an, an incredible example of what we should do when we experience sorrow. When we experience sorrow, we can follow that example of Christ and turn to the Lord in prayer. And when we do, we discover that God will provide strength for us to carry us through that sorrow. When we feel overwhelmed, when we don't know what to do, when we don't know how we're going to do it, and we, we surrender to God in prayer in response to our sorrow, we find a strength that, that surpasses what we have. We find a strength that goes beyond anything that we think we could possibly do. And we find that God is carrying us through those difficult moments. We find that God is, is providing for us a strength, a supernatural strength to help us endure, to help us get through and carry us through that sorrow. When we turn to God in prayer, we find a comfort in his presence that we can't find anywhere else. That God is the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles. In him, we find a peace that helps us to understand, that helps us to get through. And not only that, it helps us to care for the people around us. And that, 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that's, that's why God is the God of all comfort. Not only he's, is he comforting us to help us get through, but he's comforting us so that we'll know how to comfort the people around us. That having been comforted by God, we'll have understood what it is to care for people and be able to give them the same kind of, of peace and strength and comfort that God has been providing to us, that he's using us in the lives of other people. We find that comfort in his presence. When we turn to God in response to our sorrow, we discover what God is doing in our lives, what God has been doing in our lives. That through that time of prayer, we realize all the people that God has surrounded us with. Even in the midst of our sorrow, we see family who, who have gathered around us to lend support, to provide care, to, to, to make food and, and pray with us. We, we discover the friends that surround us church family, and we see through prayer how God has placed these people in our lives to support us, to care for us, to help us remain faithful through even the darkest moments of life. Through prayer, we discover the, the, the small reminders of God's presence, the, the words from Scripture that, that draw us close to Him, the songs that we hear that give us strength and peace, the little, the little items that we find that remind us of the joy and happiness that we had And we begin to understand that when we turn to the Lord, he reminds us that he's in control and that we don't need to be afraid. And we don't need to remain in our sorrow. That we can cherish the memories of happiness and joy as we move forward. As we're comforted and cared for by him. We each have experienced those moments of sorrow. We each have had those difficult days. We need to follow the example of Christ and turn to the Lord in those moments of sorrow and allow him to care for us when we're there. That's what Jesus did in this difficult time in his life. He prayed, turn to the Lord for comfort. He prayed for the possibility of, of having this cup taken from him, knowing that the cross was coming. He prayed, God, if it's, if it's at all possible, take this cup from me. Now, what, what does the cup represent? Well, we, we've heard this term used earlier in, in the gospel when, when James and John came to Jesus and said, hey, we, we'd like to be named your favorites. We want to sit at your right and left hand. Can, can you do that for us? And Jesus said, well, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they said, well, yes, we, we can and we will. And he said, well, you're right. You will drink the same cup, but you can't. I can't give you those places that you're asking for. That's not mind to give away. The, the cup that, that were Jesus used as, a, as an example was the cup of, of suffering. And when James and John asked about that cup, they too would suffer a similar end of life, of suffering in the way that Christ did. Here, Jesus was praying that God's will be done, that God would bring about salvation for people. And as he's praying, he asks, if there's any possible way to take this cup of suffering from me, to bring about your will in a way that doesn't lead me to the cross. It's an important moment for us to recognize how Jesus is praying, how he is confident in, in vocalizing his, his feelings to God. He knew that suffering was coming as he endured the cross. He was aware of the process of death. He'd been around the region with Romans in control. He knew what that kind of death looked like. 
the torture that he would have to go through before he finally passed away on the cross. He, he understood mentally the kind of physical pain he would have to endure, and yet he had never, never been through that pain himself, but he understood what that was like, and he prayed, God, if there's a way I can get through this without having to endure that suffering, please. I, I can't imagine what he's going through. I, I, I tend to look at, at going to the doctor in this way. I, I, I mentally know what, what happens, the kind of procedures that, I'm in, that are in store for me as I'm getting older. And I think about that and think, what if there's any other way to get that information, the, the, any kind of medical procedure, any surgery, I, I, I know what's going to happen. And I dread that thought. And I think, God, if there's any other way, let that be done. You multiply that times 50, maybe we'll begin to understand what Jesus is, is thinking as, as he imagines the, the physical pain of the cross. If, there, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me. And then come the, the words that are most significant. Not my will, but yours be done. And as Jesus was contemplating the suffering that he would endure, after he shared with God how he felt about that suffering, he surrendered it and submitted to the will of God. He said, even though this isn't what I want, I'm willing to do it to fulfill your will, God. Now, there's a physical element of suffering. There's also a, a spiritual element of suffering, a mental, emotional, and spiritual. As Jesus recognized what it would mean for him to endure the cross, so taking on the sin of the world, the burden that would be placed on his shoulders, and the, 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 the separation from God as he laid down his life in sacrifice to pay for those sins. There's an anguish coming that Jesus has not yet experienced. And while he knows the idea of what it will be, he has not felt it yet. And as he prayed, if there's any way, not my will, but yours be done. That's a, that's a very important part of his example to us, that one, we're free to approach God with not only our fears, but also our feelings, that we can be open and honest with God about the way we see the world around us. We can be open and honest with God to our response. We can be open and honest with God to say to him, I really don't want to do this, but at the same time, I don't want to do it. I'm also willing to surrender to your will. I'm also willing to do things that I don't want to do because I know that they will bring glory to you, God. I know that they will bring growth in me, God. And because of that, I'm willing to go through with them. That's what Jesus demonstrates to us through this process. And it's an important piece for us to learn. Jesus prayed his prayer and then returned to his disciples and they were all sleeping. He said, can't you, can't you just stay awake for an hour? Watch and pray so you don't fall to temptation. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then the second time, he went and prayed, My Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Now notice the difference between those prayers. First prayer, Jesus says, If it's at all possible, take this cup from me. And now, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Jesus was aware of the circumstances he was facing. And he turned to God in prayer in response to those circumstances. He knew the cross was in his future. He was facing circumstances that he needed to endure for the sake of all people. 
for the sake of fulfilling God's will, for the sake of fulfilling his identity as Messiah and Savior. He knew that's where he was headed, and he surrendered to, surrendered to the will of God. As believers, there are times when we'll face situations where we're confronted with difficult decisions. And we know that, that what God is calling us to will cost us physically, emotionally, financially, that, that what God is calling us to will, will mean that we have to sacrifice. And we face those circumstances. We follow the example of Jesus. We recognize sometimes God calls us to things that we don't want to do. Sometimes God calls us to things that we don't feel like we're prepared to do. Sometimes God calls us forward into things that we're not ready yet to do. And in those moments, it's important for us to turn to the Lord in prayer and to not be afraid to tell God how we feel about it, to not be afraid to, to, to be open and honest with God, to give all of ourselves to him, even the fears and the doubts, as long as we're surrendering to his will. Maybe you're finding yourself in one of those moments where you're being confronted with responsibility, where you felt God pushing you to serve his kingdom, where you felt God pushing you to serve in the church or in the community. You've seen an opportunity. You've seen something that you feel very strongly that you could do, and yet you're reluctant to step forward into that you're not quite sure you have everything that you need in order to do it well. You're not quite sure that now is the right time for you to serve. And yet, you still feel God pushing. You're, you're in, in one of these moments of confrontation with God, knowing that it's going to cost you to be faithful, knowing that God might be calling you to do something that you, you don't particularly want to do, and yet you're feeling him pushing. You have this moment facing your circumstances. Maybe God is calling you to a position of leadership and someone in the church has asked you to step forward and lead. Maybe where you work, you're finding yourself after years and years of, of following in the footsteps of others, of having people to take advice from, that now you, you've come to a place where someone's asking you to be that person, for you to step forward and to lead others and to be the, the voice of advice for other people. And you're intimidated by the, the idea of that you're not quite sure you have what it takes. You're not quite sure you, you, you can get through without having a voice to speak into your life and you're confronted with that responsibility, knowing the cost. Maybe you're being confronted with an opportunity for growth. Maybe you're experiencing some consequences in your life because of the decisions that you are making. And there, it's a, a time for you to, to grow from those consequences, to, to move past the things that you're doing wrong that are creating those consequences. Maybe there's people in your life who are coming around you to help you recognize wrong and hold you accountable. And you're struggling with that confrontation. And you know that God is calling you away from the things that you've been doing. You know that God is calling you to, to, to live your life in such a way that you honor the people around you, you're faithful to his word, and yet you recognize the cost of moving through this time of growth, you know that it's going to cost you some pride. 
And in order to submit to God's will, you're going to have to, to humbly step through what God is calling you to do. You know that in order to accept the consequences of the life that you've been living, it's going to require you to set your pride aside and move forward. It's going to cost some pain. That's, that's what growth comes from, is pain. But that evaluation, that confrontation, is recognizing that you have to endure that pain of growth instead of resting in the comfort of remaining the same. When we're overwhelmed by circumstances that we face in life, we have an opportunity to turn to the Lord in prayer, to surrender our feelings about those circumstances and allow God to meet us there. And when we do, we're reminded that God is greater than the circumstances that we face. And no matter how large, no matter how overwhelming, no matter, no matter how much we've been eclipsed by those circumstances, God is bigger than they are. And God can carry us over those circumstances. God can carry us around those circumstances. God can carry us through those circumstances. He has the power when we surrender to him and submit to his will. Through those times of prayer, we're reminded that God is with us. He's present. And because he's with us, providing everything that we need, we don't have to run from those circumstances. We don't have to hide. We can stand to face them. Instead of being crushed by those circumstances, we find that we're shaped by God through the through the circumstances around us as we surrender them to him. And so I want to ask you, what are the circumstances you're facing right now? What are those things that are keeping you up at night? Those big questions that you're struggling to answer. Those conflicts and confrontations that, that are present, hanging over you, the stress of the circumstances, of maybe even the consequences that you're dealing with in life right now, how can you surrender those to the Lord? How can you trust him to carry you through? How can you see him using those things to develop you more into the person that he's calling you to be? Jesus, in the face of his circumstances, turned to the Lord in prayer. When he came back from that prayer, he again found the disciples sleeping. Their eyes were heavy. He left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, and he said the same thing. It's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it. May your will be done. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus used Peter's drowsiness to warn him about his need to be awake and aware and to pray. The temptation was coming. Temptation would be present in his life. And in order to overcome that temptation, it would be important to stay vigilant, to, to be prepared, to be awake, to meet that temptation with eyes open and to pray. And that's the example that Jesus provided, not only through Peter's drowsiness, but also through, through his own temptation. He turned to God in prayer in response to the temptation that he faced. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us we, we don't have a a high priest in Jesus who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But Jesus has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. And because of that, 
we can then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Now, Jesus experienced temptation. When he began his ministry, Satan met him in the wilderness after he had been fasting and tempted him first to turn stones into bread, to answer the hunger of his 40-day fast. And Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, by the very words of God. Satan took him to the highest point of the temple and said, why don't you just, just throw yourself off the temple and let, let God send his angels to, to, to save you from hitting the ground. And Jesus, again, tempted by this word from Satan to, to make himself known as the Son of God, to, to bring about the, this, this divine intervention to keep him from harm. Jesus said, don't put the Lord your God to the test. The third time, Satan tempted Jesus saying, if you just bow down to me, I'll give you the nations of the world. No longer will there be a struggle. I'll relinquish them to you. Just bow down to me. It's tempting. But Jesus, knowing that the cross was coming, knowing, knowing the, the pain and the suffering that he would endure, here in the garden, in Gethsemane, he faced that same temptation, asking God, if there's any way to take this cup from me, if there's another path that will bring about salvation for people that doesn't involve the cross, there's a piece of Jesus in his humanity, in his flesh and blood that dreaded that suffering. And yet, even in that dread, surrendered to the will of God, not my will, but yours be done. Those are powerful words from Christ that provide an example to us in the way that we respond. The way we respond to sorrow, the way we respond to circumstances, and, and also in the way we respond to temptation. Not my will, but yours be done. When Jesus faced temptation, he turned to the Lord. And when we do that same thing, we find that he supplies what we need. In, in him, we find the wisdom to flee from temptation. Last week we heard a great message and Terry Alcorn reminded us that when we're in the wrong place, when we find ourselves in the wrong place, temptation is present and very likely sin will follow. When we surrender those moments of temptation to the Lord, we find in him the wisdom to recognize the wrong place when we're there and to flee from temptation so that we won't fall to sin. The wisest thing we can do in the face of temptation is to remove that temptation either to cut it out of our lives or to remove ourselves from the situation that's causing that temptation. When we turn to the Lord in prayer, we find the strength to stand against temptation, the strength to overcome those feelings, the strength to overcome the desire of our own will, drawing us toward temptation. In, in the Lord, we find the strength to surrender to his will instead of submitting to our own. When we surrender to the Lord, sometimes we realize that God has placed better paths in our lives than the ones that we're taking, paths that take us away from temptation, paths that will, that will, that will intersect with other people, people who are willing to help us, to, to help us steer clear, to help hold us to the standards that we've committed to. These paths that lead us to healthier and greater alternatives than what we were once tempted by. When we choose to surrender to the Lord in prayer, we find in him everything that we need to overcome temptation. 
no matter where you've been tempted, no matter how you've been tempted, if it's a sin that you keep struggling with, if it's temptation to turn away from what you feel like God is calling you to do, I pray that you would continually turn to God, that you would surrender those desires, you would surrender those fears and allow God to work in you as you submit to his will and set aside your own. That's the example that we have in Christ. That while he wasn't seeking his own death, he didn't run from it. And he willingly submitted to the will of God. Not because it's what he wanted, but it's because it was what was needed. In Hebrews chapter 5, we find a description of this whole process. Verse 7 begins telling us that while Jesus lived on the earth, he offered up prayers and petitions and fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. That as the Son of God, he was called to lay down his life, to sacrifice himself, to bring about salvation for all people. And that because he was willing to submit to the will of God, something incredible was done for all of us. Through his sacrifice, God extended grace. Through his sacrifice, God was able to demonstrate his love perfectly, to redeem us from sin, to pay the penalty for the wrong that we had done. And it's in him that we find forgiveness and grace. And for that, Jesus was willing to suffer. For that, Jesus was willing to lay down his life. And it's for that that we're called to make decisions about our relationship with him. Knowing what Christ has done, knowing what he endured, knowing that his goal was to submit to the will of God and provide for us salvation. 